All right, welcome back to episode 10 of our uh, little situation that we have going here called the Three Stooges of Basketball Pod. Um, this is episode 10, um, and today, uh, since it really isn't a whole lot of AU stuff that started yet, high school's all uh, dead and dusted, um, so we have a whole lot of NCAA tournament talk today. We got the Final Four that's set, and I'm sure we have a whole lot to talk about from the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight games. So we're just going to basically talk about that the entire pod. So buckle up, this should be fun. Um uh, where do we start? Uh, I feel like Eric always has something good to say. So let's let Eric give his little soliloquy to start things off here. I want to give a moment of silence for whatever Muppet had to be murdered for Kim Mulkey's pink jacket. That was one of the ugliest things I've ever seen a day in my life. And I've seen Kim Mulkey before. <laughs> I would like to know what LGBTQIA designer is paying her back with whatever whoever's dressing her because it looks like elton john threw up on her every time she walks out i truly don't know what we're going to get at the final four i would be okay if she just missed it or if her team just decided not to show up since they don't deserve it but that's just my first thoughts on it shout out to the four teams that made it they proved me wrong and a big 10 team did make it and now they're going to play the Soon to be national champion, South Carolina Gamecocks. I mean, I, I, I mean, bury the lead a little bit there, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, I would just like to ask you, Eric, what did you think about the end of that Utah LSU game? Okay, listen, and I mean this as nice as possible. Utah should make Jenna Johnson walk <laughs> back to Utah. I get that there's nerves and stuff like that, but wow airballing one like all you gotta do is make your free throws and evil goes home that's all you gotta do i will however say this in her defense she shouldn't have been the one shooting the free throws gianna was fouled on the first drive before jenna got the offensive rebound angel reese should probably have fouled out earlier in the game like feely did i will also say i was wrong there they did not get into it i wish feely would have i wish she would have had some things to say to the bayou princess or whatever she is whatever Bayou Barbie, whatever her nickname is, her and Kim, it's a disgrace that they're at the final four. Cause basically what you said, what you showed every team is don't ever schedule hard in the non-conference. You can still get to the final four. As long as you in the elite eight have a 22 to two free throw advantage over Miami for about a 90% of the game. So that, I mean, I mean, I, I, the only follow-up I'll ask about the end of that Utah game, after she airballed that first one, did you believe at all that she was going to make that second one? I actually kind of did, because I feel like we've all seen enough basketball, like high school eight. I feel like we've seen, like, I've seen kids airball and then swish, and I'm like, there's no happy medium between there. I, I mean, honestly, it was a nicer-looking shot, and it more just, like, rimmed out on her. I thought if she was going to miss it, it was going to be, like, hard off the backboard, or, like, she's going to overcorrect it a little bit or something. I... I thought maybe, but I was like, at least tied up. And I'm like, goodness sake. But then I'm like, why was Gianna not shooting? Gianna Neepkins drove. And Gianna Neepkins was fouled long before that. LSU, you have no business in the Final Four. I hope Kitley crams the ball down your throat. And, I mean, it also, you know, for LSU, it also helped in that Elite Eight game, the fact that Miami went, what, 0 of 16, 0 of 15 from the three-point line in that game and lost by 12. I mean, I don't know what happened there for Miami, but they laid a, quite an egg in, in that one. 
And I'm sure you watch that one. I'm sure you hate watch that. So mm. I, I'd like to just know um, what you thought of Miami's elite shooting in that one. I was more concerned with 22 to two on fouls because Angel Reese would have had zero points in the first quarter, in the first half, if it wasn't for free throws. Homegirl had no idea what a layup was. She looked like me at Lifetime out there, throwing the ball high off the backboard and not even hitting rim. She had no business getting the fouls she did. The refs are terrified of her of the Crip Keeper, who's her coach. I'm of a firm belief. And I, as bad as Miami shot, even up those free throws, even an ounce. And they probably are right there in that game. So, once again, LSU, I, I hope you have a horrendous time at the Final Four. <laughs> and I hope well, Malky does not kill any more Muppets for outfits. Well... I want to move on and let Mason speak for a little bit. Um, either do you want to do you want to touch on any of those games, Mason? Before I ask you something else. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I would like to speak on uh, LSU for a second. I think, you know, obviously they were probably the best team in that region. You know, strength of schedule aside, not playing anyone non-conference. Obviously, we've talked about that a lot. It is has been talked about a lot. Um, but, you know, they were the ones that made it through. So even if you played the toughest, you know, non-conference schedule available or the easiest, I mean, they still made it to the Final Four. And in my, of my opinion, I think it's probably a positive for women's basketball as a whole simply because, you know, lover or hater mostly hate for I would assume, you know, most people, um, you know, Kim Mulkey does draw attention to the sport, whether that's good or bad. Um, you know, people are going to tune in to see what she's wearing. She's going, they're going to tune in, um, you know, to root against LSU most likely in the final four. So, you know, if Miami wouldn't have made it and if it would have been Miami, Virginia tech, like that's not a game that draws very many viewers at all. Um, now with LSU in there, yeah, LSU is now going to draw a lot of viewers because Kim Mulkey's the head coach and Angel Reese is a very prominent figure in the women's basketball community. Um, and so I think it's in terms of viewership and eyes on the women's final four, I think it's good that LSU's in there. Obviously, I don't think they're probably one of the top four teams in uh, women's college basketball. Um, I would like to also say going back uh, onto the other side of the bracket, I think Iowa has still proven why I said they should be a number one seed coming into the tournament. I mean, you had three of the top four teams in the final AP poll are in the final four, and then you have LSU. Um and so, yeah, just to kind of push back there a little bit on on what Eric was kind of saying, which he wasn't really saying that it's necessarily, like, terrible. But I do think Kim Mulkey's going to bring more viewers to, um, you know, the NCAA tournament than a Utah or an IU or especially a Miami would have. But, I mean, you brought up so, Iowa a little bit there, and I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit more about that because you have beaten the Iowa drum since we've started doing this for, what is it, two and a half months now? <laughs> um, 
Yes. Yep. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking too. But I mean, you've been kind of saying this kind of stuff about Iowa for the entirety of the time we've been doing this pod. And obviously now they're in the final four and um, Caitlin basically had one of, one of the most historic performances in college athletics to get them to the final four. Um, So I just kind of want to ask you, do you feel vindicated yet, Mason? Um, no, I don't feel vindicated. Um, the only reason, no, I don't feel vindicated. And the reason I don't feel vindicated is because they're one of the top four teams in women's college basketball. So they're right where they should be. I think everyone, I think if they would have played Stanford, they would have had a little bit more trouble than against Louisville because, you know, as Eric has said in the past, um, Monica hasn't really, you know, faced some big size down low. And obviously, you know, Louisville isn't small necessarily, but they're not huge like Stanford would have been. So, no, I think Iowa is, is right where they, they should have been. You know, they had, like I said from the very start, they had the pathway to get to the Final Four. And then a couple upsets here and there with Duke losing and then Stanford losing. You know, well, I mean, really in the opening round where Georgia beat Florida State. So they really had quite an easy path in because they played the 10 seed, then they played the six seed, then they played the five seed. They didn't have to go through the three or the one. Um, so, yeah, no, I don't feel vindicated. I think they're one of the top four teams in college basketball. I think they're probably, I mean, I think the championship's going to be that final four game between South Carolina and Iowa, pretty much. I think whoever wins that game wins the championship because uh, I think obviously South Carolina is going to be favored over all three of those teams. But, you know, if, if Iowa were to somehow pull out the win, I think they'd be favored over Virginia Tech and LSU. And um, before before Eric jumps in here, I just want to ask you a bit of a bigger uh, picture question with Caitlin Clark, especially in Iowa. Um, obviously, I mean, we can talk about the game that she had, and I think it's probably been beaten into the ground how crazy that game was. So I don't know if we have to do that here, but I'm just wondering, like, what kind of impact that she has in Iowa, at, like the at the younger age levels, um, at least in your opinion, because I know I know there's a massive impact on on kids in Wisconsin who love Caitlin Clark, and I just kind of want to know what that impact's been like in in Iowa. Yeah, I mean, she had the first forty point triple double in in men's or women's tournament history. I know people love just pulling out those arbitrary numbers of, you know, 35 points, 12 assists, 11 rebounds, first time ever. So, but this was the first 40-point triple-double. Uh, she almost had a quadruple-double, too, actually. I don't know if many people noticed that, but she had nine turnovers as well. Um, I noticed. But when you have the ball in your hands that much, you know, that stuff's going to happen. And I think if you're scoring 41 points and dishing out 12 assists, you can kind of look past the nine turnovers. Um but yeah, I mean, even without, you know, this run of, of uh, games that she's had so far in the tournament, you know, she's always been kind of a tantalizing figure in Iowa um, because she's, you know, she's from Iowa, obviously. She stayed in state. Um, you know, she was obviously a big figurehead coming up through, starting with her freshman year in high school. And so everyone kind of knew who she was, whether you were younger or older. Um and I think because she's proven to be such, you know, such a solid teammate and such a solid leader, I think kids are, you know, looking up to that. And she also, you know, I think it helps that she also like gives back quite a bit in the community in Iowa. You know, she runs camps 
and she doesn't just put her name on a camp and say, okay, we're running a camp. Like she's there, she's coaching the kids, she's interacting, you know, she'll stay for, you know, even after their uh, elite eight win, like she didn't just go leave the floor and, you know, celebrate. She stood out there and you know, all those kids were wanting autographs and want pictures. And she was one of those kids who, you know, want to sign for every last kid just because she knows the impact um, that she has on, you know, the younger generation. And I think that even comes out when she's talking in interviews or press conferences, um, you know, about her impact on, you know, all the young kids out there, you know, both, both boys and girls too. And did I interrupt you before, Eric, when you were trying to say something? No, and I'll actually like, I'll, I'll start with the nice moments. I, I, you can tell like, Caitlin has an effect Midwest. I mean, there's Minnesota kids that love Caitlin Clark. There's Wisconsin, like you talked about, Iowa. Like she, she have that electricity to her that you want to be in the arena when she's playing. I saw it at the Big Ten tournament. Like as soon as Iowa's playing, there was a different buzz in the arena. And that's good for women's basketball. I also want to say like, I think we need, it's there. The reason there's such a buzz around her is because she stayed home. Talking to you, Paige Beckers. I think when stars like that stay home, it can be something magical. Going to somewhere where the road is paved in gold already, bummer. Anywho, so I'll give her a shout out for that. She stayed home. She wanted to build up a program, and this is what can happen when you stay home and build up that kind of stuff. So I like that. I will, however, say I think her triple double, her tenth rebound, was very generous. Mm, I disagree. I think everyone was looking for where the tenth rebound was. Control tab. Control tap. Sure. We'll, we'll give it to her. It's, it's a great, we'll give her that. Here's my thing. Because you said, you know, Mason, like I'm not vindicated. They were the top four. That's great. In my opinion, if they were, if you're a one seed, you should be considered a chance to actually win a national championship. Is there a chance they beat South Carolina on Friday without her scoring 80? I'm going to say no. I also don't know if Monica Sinano is going to even get a basket. And I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Monica scores off a lot of lobs. And I think 6'7 and 6'5 are not going to let those lobs go. And to be honest, even the one thing South Carolina, I think, has that no other team has, and I saw it with you know, all the teams they played, and I have a question for Mason. South Carolina has people like Bradley, or Bradley, Bree Beal, <laughs> and Bree Beal, and Zia Cook, who can defend Caitlin one-on-one. I I stand by this statement. I have never seen an elite three-point shooter of Gabby Marshall's ability be so far open and have as many wide-open shots. Like, people are not in the tri-state area of her. Every game she plays. And that's the kind of the defensive attention Caitlin can pull. But I'm still stunned. Like, I mean, Warnock had a great game in the Elite Eight, but I'm like, I would leave Kate Martin. I would leave Monica at that point. How are you leaving Gabby Marshall who's shooting like 70% in her last like month and a half of games? So, but what I'll say is you're not going to have that same pull, I think, to Caitlin where the de- defense has to all kind of hone in on her from South Carolina because Bree Beal is probably the best defender, one of the best defenders in the country. I think she can kind of do, do you know, keep up with Caitlin one-on-one and not have the need of like where everyone has to kind of focus. And then there isn't the lob to go up to Monica. Warnock's going to have to guard either Aaliyah Boston, Camilla Cardoza, um, Ami here off the bench, or Victoria Saxton. 
Godspeed. Godspeed to you, McKenna Warnock. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, this is obviously, I mean, I think you can just kind of say it that this is going to be the best, you know, on ball defense that Caitlin Clark has faced all year. And I don't think it's, you know, particularly close. Um, but also, it's going to be the best player at the guard position that those, um, you know, defenders have defended all year, too. Um, so, you know, I don't know who wins that. You know, Caitlin Sparks still going to probably score 30 mm. plus, but is it going to be on, you know, 17 shots or is it going to be on 27 shots? There's a, you know, obviously a huge difference. Um, you know, if, if I was South Carolina, I would probably, like you're saying, not help off of anyone else at first just to see how it goes because, you know, if, if Cook or, or Beal can handle her one-on-one and just disrupt it, um, you know, you don't want to leave Gabby Marshall open. You don't want to leave Monica open. You don't want to leave, you know, really anyone else open because it's, they're perfect role players for what Caitlin Clark is doing. Um, and so, you know, if, if I was South Carolina, I would just say, okay, Caitlin Clark, try to beat us. Like, we're going to make you beat us. And if you if you beat us and you score 65 points, then you know what? there's nothing we can do about that. Like whatever. Now, if, if, you know, we can shut you down and not help off of, you know, the, you know, the other players on the floor and, you know, Kate Martin scores five points and Gabby Marshall has six points and Monica has eight points and so on and so forth. And Caitlin Clark only has 20 points, you know, then South Carolina wins that game by 25. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised for them to kind of mix it up just to make her, uncomfortable as you can make her you know obviously it's tough to make Caitlin Clark uncomfortable but I think you just have to kind of mix it up a little bit but I would be surprised if they you know really try to sell out to stop Caitlin my question unless it's not working do you think it may it would have made because we talked about their road to get to the final four do you think maybe it would have been more beneficial for an Iowa to maybe run into a Stanford in the elite eight and kind of have had to gone against a Cameron Brink in elite center to maybe kind of have had to prepare for big height. Cochran was not that big, not something that Monica couldn't body up. I think all the teams they played, they didn't have, and don't get me wrong. No one has a size of that South Carolina. They're monster. It's like the monsters in Space Jam. I mean, that's how big they are. They come at it with waves. Do you think if they would have maybe played Stanford, it may would have been beneficial to have seen height like Cameron Brink before they go into South Carolina when it might be a complete shock of when you're standing next to six five and six seven. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it definitely would have. It wouldn't have hurt. I mean, still, if they would have still won, then yeah, obviously it would have definitely been a help. But it's also not like they haven't played, you know, height all year. You know, they played Iowa State. Iowa State had a six, seven kid that was playing for them this year. You know, they played Connecticut. Obviously, Connecticut's not as tall, but they have some solid post players. So they've got experience with, you know, very good skilled post players. Um, you know, they played NC State, you know, they played Illinois, um, you know, now those teams obviously aren't, you know, on the same stratosphere or even close to it as South Carolina is, but it's not like, um, 
you know, and they've played IU twice. So, um, you know, it's not like they've been playing, you know, six, one posts all year long. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely would have helped for sure. Um, just seeing how they're able to combat that, um, you know, with their post play being, you know, more shut down than it was against Louisville and Colorado and Georgia. Maybe. And I mean, I'm going to say Brady, you want to add anything? No, I, I not not to that in particular. I just kind of wanted to move over to that Elite Eight game with South Carolina and Maryland a little bit. Um, and honestly, Maryland gave him a pretty good like punch in the face to start that game, and they kind of threw it all away in the second quarter. <laughs> I mean, they didn't even. I don't think they scored double digit points in that quarter, if I remember right. Um, but yeah, it did not go well after that first quarter for for Maryland, but. Um, I just kind of want to ask you about that game in particular, and just kind of the um, did did that first quarter like surprise you at all? And like, were you ever like, I I don't think anyone was really like thinking that Maryland was really going to win that game even after that quarter, um, even though they played fairly well. But I was just wondering, like, kind of what your takeaways were from from that game, or who was just kind of well, kind of what we expected. Honestly, South Carolina the slow burn. I mean, I would not be surprised to come Friday, Caitlin and Iowa look very good in the first quarter. Where South Carolina keeps doing it is, okay, you have a first quarter, great. But when you then have to try and stop 6-7 from getting every rebound and laying it in, when you have to try and stop Aaliyah Boston from posting you up, when Bree Beal starting to hit outside shots, when Zaya Cook starts cooking, and not only that, that's just your starters. Then you have off the bench, you have a whole nother starting five. I mean, so they that's where they wear you down. I think with Maryland, it wasn't shocking because at the beginning of the game, everyone kind of has, there's the nerve that you can kind of turn that into energy and there's excitement in the arena and everyone's kind of going wild. South Carolina just methodically and slowly wears you down. Like all of a sudden, they're just rebounding everything. And all of a sudden, if you don't hit a shot, they're running it down your throat. Or it's, I mean, they're rebounding, what, 45 to 50% of their own misses. So literally if they miss 20 shots, you only have a chance of 10 rebounds because they're putting up 10 rebounds for 10 more offensive buckets or chances. And that that's tight. I mean, that was going to wear you down and tire a team out. So it, it wasn't surprising to me. I'm not, and once again, Maryland, you want to see bad officiating? Give me a break. Like they were trying to say with the officiating bat, you had one bad call and that was the charge on Abby Meyer when Beal or when Abby Meyer was set when Beal drove. You had one bad call. Get over it. Try having your hair pulled over. Yeah, some, try some, being a Minnesota something... gopher fan. Eric knows all about bad officials. So I don't. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't nervous about it. Now, to me, if you go into the fourth quarter and like the thing with Iowa is you're going to have to. Let's be honest. South Carolina is not going to bury you from three. Cook can hit them. Which, by the way, my new favorite statement of the tournament is Cookie got a cook. So that's my favorite one from Don's Daily. But they're not going to bury you from three. They want to pound it inside and wear you down that way if you can hit a lot of threes and get hot maybe we have a situation of back when louisville beat baylor back when they just had three after three and they outdid a team similarly built that wanted to go inside maybe that's what it's going to take for iowa to win it but i maryland didn't make me nervous at all because they're not that good yeah no i think if 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 um i was gonna win against south carolina they're going to have to probably hit 23s, anywhere from 17 to 23s. Because, you know, if if Monica gets in foul trouble, there's really not much depth at all behind her, um, especially with Hannah Stolke kind of being uh, not 100%, obviously, right now. Um, but, yeah, in that Maryland game, I thought they, 
they came out strong. I feel like, you know, there have been a couple instances where teams have come out strong against South Carolina and then they adjusted, you know, like Eric said, they like to play it kind of slow. They don't really speed up the pace too much. They're going to control the pace of their game by their rebounding. And that's what they did. Um, But yeah, it also didn't help that, you know, basically the entire Maryland team was in foul trouble in the first half either. Um, You know, whether or not those were, you know, correct calls, what have you, you know, they still were sitting on the bench with fouls. So it doesn't really matter at that point. They weren't in the game. Um, And so, you know, I, when I was watching this game, I was kind of thinking about what South Carolina reminds me of. And it's almost like Michigan football in the sense, you know, or Wisconsin football or, you know, any teams that like to run the ball where, um, you know, they're just going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, tire you out. And then, you know, it might be 14 to 10 at halftime, but then come the second half, you're so tired from, you know, defending the run that then they start passing the ball a little bit. And, you know, by the end of the third quarter, it's, you know, 35 to 10. Uh, So South Carolina really just, like Eric said, just tires you out. And by the fourth quarter, you know, as we've seen in a lot of games that South Carolina's played close this year, um, you know, the, the opposing team is kind of, kind of walking on dead legs at that point. Um, You know, you can even look at South Florida too. You know, they're not used to playing the talent and the skill level of South Carolina, obviously. And they had a really, really good first half. I think it was a four point deficit at halftime. And then, uh, USF came out and scored like 15 points in the second half because they just got tired. You know, they don't play a ton of kids. I think they play like eight or nine kids um, where South Carolina kind of plays, you know, nine to 10 kids anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes a game. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how the substitution patterns for Iowa even work against that. Cookie got to cook. <clears throat> I mean, and I and, and I and I know we kind of just bashed Maryland a little bit there. Um, actually, no, I won't say that. Eric bashed Maryland a little Accurate. bit there. Um, but you know, as as much as he wants to bash Maryland, there were three Big Ten teams that made the Elite Eight this year, and although one only one made it through, I feel like we need to talk about that other Elite Eight game real quick. Um, but before we talk about that Elite Eight game, we we got to talk about the Sweet Sixteen game, and I, I think Eric wants to be the first one to talk about that Ohio State UConn game. Um, so I'll just I'll just give you the floor and let you let you go where you may with this. Listen, Ohio State, we haven't always seen eye to eye, but I just want to say thank oh, you gosh. for taking out <laughs> one of the most annoying, overhyped, overpampered teams. Life get real hard when UConn doesn't get to have the NCAA tournament in their damn backyard till the Final Four. Gets real hard, doesn't it? AV Fud, overhyped. Thank you, Ohio State. Thank you for taking them out. Thank you for sending them home, breaking the streak of Final Fours. It was beautiful to see. Cody McMahon, I'm confused with, I will never get over Gino's quote after that game when he said, their player surprised us. He's the only idiot who Cody McMahon has surprised this year because anyone who's with a brain who knows of Ohio State, she's clearly their best player. J.C. Sheldon, great. Taylor Mike's so great. He was surprised that Cody McMahon had a big game. You deserve to lose. Retire. <laughs> hey, Mason, do you think that Eric doesn't like UConn? 
Yeah, I think there's some dislike there and some hatred. Uh, I would like to give credit to Ohio State, as Eric just did, by with their press. Like, their pressure on the defensive end won them the game. I, I could – I wouldn't know off the top of my head the last time UConn has had 25 or more turnovers in a game. I'm sure it has been quite a long while. Uh, but Ohio State forced 25 turnovers, which is kind of incredible. Um, you know, not just against UConn, but, you know, in a Sweet 16 game. Um, and, you know, they came out and their defense was, you know, overwhelming for UConn, especially there in the second quarter when Ohio State jumped out, to, you know, big, you know, fairly solid halftime lead. Uh, but they really just kind of took them down there in the second quarter and they couldn't really figure it out from there. Uh, 2023 or 2013 when they played Notre Dame back in between the Maya years, after the Maya years and the Stewie years. 10 years, that's, that's a long time. But that makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of credit can be given to UConn, though, for that streak. You know, you still – you know, home or away, you still kind of have to win games. Um, and they obviously have had some major injury problems this year as well. And, you know, I think there's probably some other things just kind of going weird internally. Uh, just kind of was an off year for UConn. Um, but, I mean, they still have that streak. Um, and they'll be right back there next year, I'm sure. They'll just reload. Yeah, I mean, there's two things I want to add to that. Um, just about one the streak in general. I mean, regardless of um how dominant they they have been over the course of decades at this point, um, it you still have to be very good, and you kind of have to be lucky to win championships in in that sense because you got to stay healthy. Um, and that's kind of always a roll of the dice. And the fact that they've been able to, um, be as dominant as they have been for so long with. You know, I mean, a bunch of different cast of characters that have been running the show for them is pretty incredible. Um, but the other thing I just kind of wanted to ask you guys is, I mean, regardless of like how many people watch women's basketball or like the opinions of it, like like uh, in the general public, um, everyone would not like the like the running like sentiment was always, hey, like it's chalk all the way through. UConn's like da da da. Like they're usually good. They're always going to be there. Like you know, all this other stuff that goes along with that. So I just kind of want to ask you guys, is this kind of like signal kind of like a shift of like the power dynamics in women's college basketball and kind of the the fact that there's so many other good programs that are around that can, you know, win games in the tournament or is this just kind of a, a one-off year? The shift has been there. They haven't won since 2016. They have not but won. They've been there. But great. they've been there. But Th- they've that's been there. That's great. Right? You ain't winning anything. Arike is stopping you with game winners. Morgan Williams is stopping you at Mississippi State. You haven't won anything since 2016. Brianna Stewart went to the pros. You know what else? My, I think the funniest tweet about all of it was the Candace Parker curse. And if anyone knows me, I'm not a Candace Parker apologist. But the whole, they left her off the 2016, Gino left her off the 2016 USA team. He hasn't won a title since. She's haunting his ass. So the, the shift has been there. South Carolina's had two titles in the time before UConn's had their last one. The shift's been there. UConn ain't that impressive. You you have kids starting to go elsewhere. I think you have Geno's waves starting to kind of wear down some kids. And it's just a natural Tennessee had to go through it when UConn knocked Tennessee off their pedestal. South Carolina's going to start knocking, kind of has knocked UConn off their pedestal. I'm perfectly fine if UConn comes down to earth. I don't, 
the problem is at least when they used to win, like with when the Maya Moore years and that type of stuff, they had players that were likable. Who was likable on this team? Like even the Stewart year, Stewart was one of the most boring superstars I've ever seen a day in my life. Like she had no personality. It was like bland mashed potatoes. So, and speaking of health, my sympathy is about this much for them for their injury this year. Cause during her four years of running titles, if it wasn't for other teams having massive injuries or other teams doing the dirty work of knocking out the Brittany Griners and Baylor for her, she might not have four championships. Sorry, UConn, you've been knocked out. Bye. South Carolina ain't going anywhere. Man, I really don't think Eric actually likes UConn, Mason. I'm starting to think he might <laughs> not, to be quite honest. Also, also, I can, I, can I say something I haven't figured quick, it out Mason? yet, though. Um, I, I do no. love the fact, well, too bad. Um, well, I do love the fact that um, Eric said he, he has this much sympathy in, in, in a pod where there is no visual to it. It's just purely audio. And I and, and for the people just listening, oh, yeah. there, there, there wasn't a, like he, he held up his index finger and his thumb and there wasn't a whole lot of room there. So he has not very much sympathy. We'll give you a visual aid. My amount of sympathy is for UConn is less than my like for Kim Mulkey. <laughs> Well, wow. I mean, yeah, it's not a lot, but I mean, you know, it's, it's just one of those things though, still, I mean, even though they haven't won and like won a title in a while, like they're still always there. And regardless of if they're winning or not, they're in the, they're in final fours and regardless of winning or not winning in the final four, like there is like a, like a, in, in the general public's mind that, oh, UConn's still one of the best teams and probably one that could win a title every single year even if you don't like that eric and i was just asking you if there's um, a if there's a greater shift going on than just i that. i think one of the best shifts this year was getting the ncaa tournament the hell out of the state of connecticut because <laughs> i'm sure that streak is great like last year when they were the lower seed and got a home game against number one nc state which went to overtime if that's on a neutral site uconn might not win so I think that streak has partly to do that they never had to leave within an hour and 50, an hour and a half, two hour bus ride, car ride from their entire herd cult of fans. So they, once again, I think the shift was that they finally got out of the state of Connecticut. They had to go across the country to Seattle and they didn't have the herd slash cult of the Yukon faithful behind them. And it couldn't pull them through when they had to play a, a lower seed this time. They were the higher seed, but. So good job, Ohio State. Get them. Now I have a question for Brady and Mason. We talked about the Ohio. Hang State. on, I, I want to wait bef- before you answer that. I want to. I want to actually answer Brady's question. Okay. To get you <laughs> off your UConn soapbox, um, I think that we are seeing a little bit of a shift. You know, I before the tournament started, I thought there would be more parity than there used to be, and I think there was. Um, you know, you had, you know, an eight seed that made it, you know, a six seed, a five seed, um, you know, an 11 seed made it into, um, you know, made it through their first game and then, you know, ended up winning their first round game. You know, Miami made it all the way to lead eight as a, uh, nine seed. So I think there is a little bit of a shift coming on, you know, girls basketball, obviously, you know, not as big of a shift as the men this year with, you know, no top three seeds in the final four. Uh, I think you're always going to have, you know, a one seed or, you know, two or so one seeds in the final four on the women's side. Um, But, you know, 
no one that's been a six seed or below has ever made it to the championship game. Um, no 14 or 15 has ever won a game. Um, only one 11 seed has ever made it to the elite eight on the women's side. Um, you know, 31 of the 40 champions have been number one seeds. I think over the next couple of years, you'll see, you know, a seven seed, a six seed, you know, make a push for, um, you know, getting at least to the championship game, if not a final four. So I, I think we're getting ready to kind of get past the fact of, of always having a, you know, a myriad of one seats in the final four. Um, you know, pretty much every single year you've seen at least two one seeds in the final four. Most years it's three. I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of years if you see something like a one seed, a, a three seed, a four seed, you know, a, another four seed in the final four, just with how, um, you know, how much parity we're seeing, you know, in the girls game, especially, you know, this year, Stanford didn't make it to the, didn't make it at sweet 16. IU didn't make it to the sweet 16. Like most people had them penciled in for, you know, the sweet 16 at a very minimum. So that's what I have to say on, on that topic. So Except yeah, for you, you didn't, you didn't uh, pen Stanford in the sweet 16. No, no, I didn't. I had them losing to Ole Miss. Thank you very much. <laughs> so here's my question for you too. So we talked about the defense of Ohio State, how they got UConn rattled and stuff. Were you then surprised or not really at how easily Virginia Tech on the reverse was able to get Ohio State to come out of that press because of how they beat it? Um, I, I, think, I mean, it's not I like... that could be... Go ahead, Brady. I'll let you talk. Okay. Okay. I appreciate you, Mason. You're the best. Yeah. But You're not a man of many words, so I figure I'll give it to you when you want. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I mean, it's not like Ohio State's press has been like completely unbeatable this year. It's not like they've kind of walked through Big Ten play, um, especially that stretch of I, I forget what it was in either January or February when they lost three games in a row. Um, and to not not necessarily teams that, you know, are like bad teams or anything, but it's just the the fact that it's not unbeatable. Teams have beaten it before. Um, and especially, you know, seeing them play in, in the same city, I'm sure that they had a fairly good scout on them. And Virginia Tech's also a good team, too. Like, you, you're you not a good team if you're not in the final, if, if you're in the final. You know, I don't know what I'm saying in that sense. You're a good team if you're in the final four. I'll just say it that way. Um, so it's not really a surprise that they did such a good job with, with that. Um, but it was just more of a kind of, I, I think, kind of a good way to recognize how good Virginia Tech has been especially after that Ohio State game to UConn. I think it's pretty much shown how good that that, um, that Hokie team is. So um, I think it was I think it was just a good win for them, and I think that that press wasn't as, like, unbeatable as it kind of seems against UConn. But, you know, it is what it is. And I think just Virginia Tech just showed how good they were. I think Georgia Mori showed how good she was. <laughs> I think that's kind of why Virginia Tech was able to solve the Ohio State press. You know, she was able to beat it by herself multiple times over and over again. They only had 13 turnovers, which against Ohio State's press, that's really good. Um, you know, that press has caused teams a lot of problems. Um, and, you know, Virginia Tech has some really good ball handlers. Probably um, 
you know, some of the best ball handlers, I would say, that Ohio State's faced all year long. I know they, you know, played some really good teams in conference and then some really solid non-conference teams as well. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, even looking at, you know, UConn versus Virginia Tech, you know, Virginia Tech has head and shoulders above UConn in terms of ability to handle the ball. So I am not surprised at all that Virginia Tech pulled Ohio State out of it. Um, you know, they proved they could break it pretty easily. I'm sure that they practiced against that, um, you know, type of press for, you know, basically the whole year because there's a lot of teams in the ACC that kind of run a press, obviously not as good as, not as good as Ohio state, but um, you know, they, it's nothing they haven't seen before. So are we at our prediction side of this part of this thing, Brady? Um, We can, if you'd like to be. Let's start with the one of evil versus Virginia tech. I, well, Brady, you're the host. You go first. LSU or Virginia tech. Who's winning um, and by how much? Um, You know, I don't know what it is about LSU just finding a way to win games. Um, I think Virginia Tech has shown that they can kind of play with anybody, even if they were kind of questioned as a one a little bit at the start of the tournament. Um, but LSU is kind of rolling right now, and I kind of really think that LSU is going to probably win that by a little bit. I don't know if it's I don't think it'll be a ten point game by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think that they're going to be kind of catching themselves off guard or anything. I think they know what they're getting into. I think they've kind of shown they can play with some really really good teams in the SEC, and um, so far through this tournament, beating especially Utah um, in a game where you know could have gone either way. I mean, you can kind of you know discuss amongst yourselves um how you thought that game ended um but they've shown that they can you know beat teams of that ilk so i think lsu is probably going to win that one by like five or six i think they'll i think they'll stretch away with some free throws down the end they just seem to find a way um i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go the opposite of, of brady here um you know people say that vegas is never wrong i think they're probably wrong they've got lsu as a point and a half favorite I think that Virginia Tech has been, you know, one of the hottest teams. I think they've been hotter than LSU. You know, they're on a 15-game winning streak. 12 of those wins have been by double digits. You know, they've out-rebounded everyone that they've played this month. Um, you know, Virginia Tech is really good to little things. You know, they don't foul as much as LSU. They shoot free throws better than LSU. They don't turn it over as much as LSU. And, you know, in a close game, those things matter. Those things add up, you know, one or two free throws here and there, one or two uh, turnovers here and there, you know, one or two fouls here and there can really, you know, determine a win, you know, a winner or a loser in a close game. So I think Virginia Tech's going to win. I think it's going to be a close game. I think they'll probably win by three or four, but I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be something that ends in the high 50s or 60s, you know, both sides – both of them are really good defensive rebounding teams. No one's really going to get any second chance opportunities. Um, you know, both of the teams are top 25 in uh, points allowed per game. You know, getting stops all year long has been kind of their keys to success. So um, my long-winded answer is I think Virginia Tech's going to win by two or three points in a low-scoring game. Gee, I wonder who Eric's going to pick. Okay, let me say this. <laughs> I'm cheering for Virginia Tech in this game. I also have zero faith that Kim Mulkey and Angel Reese know how to play a game fairly without the ref giving them every single call in the book. 
And I think if the importance of Kitley is to Virginia Tech, I think that puts a target on her back from Kim Mulkey and Angel Reese from the foul. I bet I would I will lay money Kitley will be in the foul first half foul trouble simply because she's going up against the flopper who by the way. I just want to get this out of the way. You drew a ring on your finger. Girl, you in the final four. You won nothing to date. Like, I hope you break that finger, just to be honest. Jeez. Anywho. How do you really feel? Um, number one, but I think Amor is gonna be able to keep up with the press of I think you're gonna the pressure that's gonna be from whatever LSU point guard's name, Alexis Morris. I can't think of it. I really couldn't care less. I will say this. I think Virginia Tech's a better team. And if it's even, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with faith here. I think Virginia Tech wins by nine. LSU doesn't have as good a three-point shooting. Their coach is evil. I think Kitley is if she's not called for cheap stuff, she's gonna make Angel Reese's job a lot harder. I think they're gonna sag off and dare her, similar to what Miami did to try and shoot jump shots, which apparently she's terrified to do. I like the supporting cast better. Taylor Soul is underrated. I worry about that girl's health because she throws her body around with reckless abandonment. But Taylor Soul is going to help you get rebounds, get steals, defend. I'm going Virginia Tech by nine in this one. And I hope Kim cries. <laughs> I bet she doesn't. I don't think she has tear ducts. Jesus. Okay. That's, That's the way to put it. <laughs> All right. So let's boomerang it back then. Eric. Yes. Who wins and by how much? South Carolina and Iowa. South Carolina by 31. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I think Aaliyah Boston and Cardoza and all their posts. I think Caitlin Clark's probably going to be close to 40 again, 45. I think she's going to go nuts. I truly wonder if I worry more about like what Monica Warnock, Gabby, um, Gabby, sorry, uh, Kate Martin, they have to then try and defend on the other side. I mean, that's, they all are going to be with their head spinning. And then unfortunately for Iowa, your first guard off the bench gets smaller. Is Molly Davis, you get smaller. So I, I think it's going to be very close in the first half. I just think South Carolina is huge, and I think they're going to get every rebound. I could be wrong. I say South Carolina blowout. Um, I'll go. For, I'll go next. Um, yeah, I okay. So I will preface this by saying yes, I'm from Iowa. Um, yes, I hope Iowa wins. I want them to win. I think ratings on TV would want Caitlin Clark to be in the national championship. Um, I think that South Carolina will win. Um, you know, they have the skill. They have more skill than Iowa, obviously. Uh, they have more experience. Um, you know, they don't have a kid like Caitlin Clark where she can just kind of go bonkers and make four threes in a row if she wanted to from anywhere on the floor obviously South Carolina has kids that can score it and score it a lot as we've seen throughout the tournament um but Iowa has something that no one else has in the country and that's a player of Caitlin Clark's stature who you know if she wants to can go score 30 points um I think she will get 
you know, whatever she wants. It's not going to be as easy as it has been. Um, you know, if they really want to win, she'll have to shoot it probably 30 or more times, um, which is not something that she does very often. She's actually like, she shares the basketball quite well. Um, however, South Carolina's defense is the best defense they've faced all year. It's the best defense in the country. Um, you know, Iowa has scored 86 or more points in six of the last eight games. South Carolina just dropped 86 as well. Um, and that's with not shooting a ton of three-pointers. Um, I think this is probably going to be a high-scoring. I think South Carolina ends up winning by 10. I bet it's going to be like 85 to 75. Um, but if Iowa can get hot and make their threes, then I, I truly think that they can pull off the upset. Yeah, um, I am of the belief that we are getting a third matchup with South Carolina and LSU again for a national title this time. Um, I just, it's just so hard. Uh, they got it three times. They didn't what play, do you, what in, do you they play in the SEC tournament. Yeah, they didn't. They played. Did they not play in the title game? I thought they played in the title game. Nope. Tennessee. Oh, LSU lost my to bad. Tennessee. Tennessee got LSU. Oh, my bad. They my played bad. the one time and asked how asked Brees how it went. It didn't go well, and it worked. You know what? We'll get we'll get there for me. All right. <laughs> don't, Eric don't, just had the don't, biggest don't. fist pump I've ever seen. I know. Way, for those who aren't watching, it was very enthusiastic. But yeah, I am not of the belief that I was going to get thirty bold by South Carolina. I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, if Maryland can hang with them by in, in like the ten point range and you know get absolutely pounded on the glass and losing the rebounding battle by like twenty two rebounds, I think it was. Um, I think that. I was going to be able to manage to hang in there a little bit. Um, I think South Carolina is just way too big. Um, I, I think they're just, they're just so consistent in what they do well. And there's really not a whole lot of ways to slow them down unless you just really hit a bunch of shots. I, and, you know, just to, you know, um, gas up my old alma mater. Um, the reason that Kentucky uh, beat them in the SEC championship last year is because they hit a bunch of threes on them. Um, and they were just rolling in, in the SEC tournament at that time. And since then, South Carolina really hasn't run into anything like that. And part of it's because of their defense and part of it's because there's no not a whole lot of players like Ryan Howard out there, but also Caitlin Clark is of that ilk. Um, so I think that Caitlin's probably going to play um, uh, very Caitlin Clark basketball, which is not really all that much of a surprise, but I just don't see a way where um, South Carolina doesn't win this by somewhere around like eight to 12 is what I'd say. So about what Mason said is probably what I'd say. I just think South Carolina has just been too dominant all year. I just don't see a way they lose to, to Iowa in, in my personal opinion. And now we're gonna stay. I, I think oh. I, I think there's a I think there's a better chance of Iowa beating South Carolina than I think a lot of people are giving them credit. I think oh, that yeah, I mean Iowa, listen, I they think have the people best are a lot of, right, which I'm sure Eric will love Debate. to dive into. Yeah. Um <laughs> but I mean I think everyone's already kind of penciling in South Carolina to the championship, but I mean having yes, Iowa's defense not very good. It's, it's obviously not very good, but their offense is very good. Um, so, yeah, I'm just I'm just really intrigued by that Iowa offense versus South Carolina defense. Um, you know, if, if Iowa can if Iowa can score. 80 points, 85 points against them, I think they, they can very well win the game, but. Can they do that against this defense of which they've not seen, you know, probably anything really close to all year long? I will, I would like to preface this. My 
my my feel on South Carolina is I don't I don't I believe in Caitlin Clark a hundred percent in this. I disagree. I don't believe you. If this was five <laughs> Caitlin Clark, if this was five not if this was five players of Caitlin Clark's level going against South Carolina, then you're in business. The other four are so overwhelmed by athleticism, height, strength. That's what and like I said, so you know when Mason talking about when Caitlin's doing her thing. Caitlin may have 40 points in this game, but if she's not able, but if you're not able to find Monica, like I would probably say half of Caitlin's assist in games is to Monica. And if you're not able to do those lob passes, because there's six, seven waiting there, there's six, five waiting there. Hell, six, seven may let him lob it into Monica, and then Monica has to learn to score over that. I mean, Cardoza is not a small woman. And you have Boston who is mobile. My other is the other four. I don't know. I think they haven't seen anything as athletic as South Carolina. That when they played Indy, Indy was a Indy players were kind of the similar build as Iowa. That's why those kind of matchups were good. Maryland, you know, we talked about Brady said they stayed close. Maryland's players were on the similar, like you had Cheyenne Sellers, you had Diamond Miller. They're at, on that, that that kind of athletic ability to go with. I mean, you even saw when Maryland beat Iowa. That athleticism can catch up on Iowa when it gets kind of rolling on them and the other teams. There's where I was South Carolina. I'm like, this is a whole different breed of anything they have ever seen of athlete. And so Caitlin, I'm fine. I think Caitlin, well, if it was just Caitlin versus South Carolina one-on-one, if she had to pick a player each time, fine. It's the other four where I think and, and their bench is going to be Stalky and Molly Davis, maybe off. I don't know her name, Sydney. That's kind of what your bench is going to be. And that's when you, South Carolina's bench is basically five starters coming in. And you have six, seven coming off the bench. I mean, she's not even a starter and she's coming off the bench. So that's where I'm like, there's where I'm like, South Carolina is just psychotic at every level, athletic, huge, physical. And especially if this game is not called tight, if this is a game where like it's allowed to be physical, oh, Iowa. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to be as blowout either. I, I think, you know, if obviously what Eric said is true, Maryland is more similar to South Carolina athletically than they are to Iowa. Um, and in the tournament, obviously South Carolina hasn't really had any struggles. You know, they beat Norfolk State pretty pretty soundly, but they didn't cover. You know, the spread was fifty points. They won by thirty two. Uh, they beat UCLA by 16, spread was 17 and a half. They didn't cover. Um, you know, they beat Maryland by 11. The spread was 14 and a half, didn't cover. Um, you know, those three teams are athletic teams. You know, Norfolk State was a 16 seed, but they were fairly athletic. UCLA, fairly athletic. They've got solid, quick guards. Um, the one team that they did cover against, South Florida, they beat them by 31. The spread was 28. South Florida was not as athletic as Norfolk State was, and they covered the spread there. So I think you kind of see a trend as well there where, you know, against the more athletic teams, the ones that can match up athletically with them, you know, they struggle a little bit, you know, to, you know, kind of pull away for those big blowout wins. Um, And obviously Iowa is, you know, not any more athletic than Maryland, not any more athletic than UCLA. And, you know, South Carolina 
struggle against those teams too. So, you know, I think at max, you're probably looking at about a 15 point game. I, I really just don't think that Caitlin Clark is going to get blown out. Like, I don't think she's going to do that. Um, you know, also, I think they're probably playing for a little bit more than just to beat South Carolina. Um, you know, their assistant coach's father passed away uh, this past weekend. Um, and, and obviously that definitely had an effect on them not losing to Louisville or, you know, emotionally it would have pulled them through a little bit tougher. Um, but I, I still think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be a close game. And, and close terms, I mean, you know, nine to ten points. But I think Iowa, I think Iowa could win. I really do. And at the next question, here and then we can speak up for forever. Hold your peace. Does any of us not think South Carolina? We all picked them to win the first Final Four. Is anyone picking them not to win the championship? No, no. Good LSU, you lose. <laughs> I, I swear, Eric only prays on the downfall of other teams. That's the only thing he does. Accurate. <laughs> yes. UConn, if Utah could have just done us all a favor, this could be a fantastic Final Four. Well, I think that there's three teams that are big draws there, um, as is. Um, and, I mean, what was the numbers on that Louisville-Iowa game that that, that game drew? Because it was big. And I forget what million at the top? At the which is nuts. And, I oh, mean... They're going to blow out the men's Final Four. Let's be honest here. The women's Final Four is going to blow out the men's Final Four this year. It's possible. I mean, I want to say that Louisville Iowa game drew like more game, like drew more viewers on ESPN than any NBA game has this year, which is nuts. And everyone and their grandma is going to watch Friday night at eight o'clock. The expert wants to see if Caitlin Clark's got it in her, and she might. I mean, you never really know. I mean, Caitlin Clark is like one. I I would say that I think that South Carolina Iowa game will have better viewership than that than the national championship game, for sure. Oh, easily, because everyone's going to be like, whoever wins that's like, we'll go ahead. Right. Okay, so here's here's my little speech that I prepared for tonight. Not speech. It's a question to Mason, and I have, and Brady. I have a feeling I know what their answers are, but I'm going to say, right now, who is your national player of the year? Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark. Okay. Here's why it should be Aaliyah Boston. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and to preface this, I want everyone to listen to um, how cherry picked stats. Um, Eric's going to pull out because Eric loves to cherry pick very little minute details of things. The previous to- eight times the team was undefeated, the National Player of the Year came from that undefeated team: Brianna Stewart, Brittany Griner, Shemiko Holzclaw, all the same. To me, the precedent has been set. Undefeated team, National Player of the Year, come from the best team. Here's where, and as good as Caitlin has been, Aaliyah Boston on undefeated team. Aaliyah Boston hasn't done anything, in my opinion, to have the goalpost that's already been set forth eight other times moved on her to say, you're an undefeated team now, but Aaliyah, we're not going to do the same thing we've done for the last eight times when there's been an undefeated team. And... To go back, to, Mason's going to say I cherry pick stats because I know what he's going to say is stats. Caitlin has better stats. Almost across the well, I won't say across the board. Scoring, she has better stats. When Brittany Griner won it, and when they won, when Baylor won 40 and 0, Elena Deladon 
got her team to the Sweet 16, had better stats overall, was overall the better offensive player. But Brittany Griner was on an undefeated team. I don't think Aaliyah's done anything to have the goalposts moved on her, is what I'm saying, in terms of the eight other times it's how it's been. Um, okay, so so my counterpoint to that is, and I know you said, Caitlin Clark across the board has better stats besides rebounding and you know, blocks. All that stuff. Scoring, 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 scoring she better. is the yes. Um, you know she has you know triple doubles. Boston has more double doubles. You know I think statistically it's it's pretty sim- similar. I would say even though it's not really similar, but I think they're negligible across the board. Kaylin's obviously a much better scorer. She has to be. Boston's a post player who blocks more shots and grabs more rebounds. That's obvious. Caitlin Clark has more assists. Um, to me, I think it's a very obvious one and two. I think everyone 100% agrees with that. Um, you know, it's not Angel Reese is a very distant three. I say a very distant. To me, <laughs> I think the the main thing for me to determine who should the National Player of the Year be. Um, and I can even draw from, you know, even the men's a little bit here. Like, it's pretty much a shoe in that the player of the year is going to be Zach Eady from Purdue. And they lost in the first round to a 16 seat this year. Um, it's not going to be someone off the Final Four. It's not going to be someone that made it to lead eight, et cetera. To me, it's who is the most important player to her team. If you remove that player from her team, how much worse would that team be? If Caitlin Clark wasn't on Iowa, they would be an average to above average team. They, they certainly wouldn't be in the Final Four. They certainly would not be probably top three in the Big Ten. Uh, if you remove Boston from South Carolina, you slide in a 6'7 girl who was a top, what, 20 prospect, five-star kid coming out of um, high school. If you remove Boston from South Carolina, they're what? They're sitting here in the Final Four at 32-2, and 33-1, something like that. So to me, I think Caitlin Clark is by far the most important to her team over Boston. That's why I give the nod to Caitlin Clark. So by, can I – that, By that I, argument then – well, here's my only thing. By that argument then, should, Deladon probably was more – Ben probably was more valuable to Delaware than Griner was to Baylor. And I bet, and in terms of Stewart, you could have removed Stewart from UConn and, and replaced her with another McDonald's All-American. But they, but the, they were, but it was, they were kept for because the team was undefeated. They got to stay there. When Shamika Holtzclaw won it for Tennessee in their undefeated season, you were, you would be replacing her with Tamika Ketchum who's a Hall of Famer. So to me, it, that I just don't think the goalpost should be moved on Aaliyah Boston now that her team's undefeated. Personally. Brady, sorry I interrupted you. I don't think that goalpost argument really matters at all. I mean, I don't think Aaliyah Boston has done anything to move those goalposts, but I think Caitlin Clark might have done something to move those goalposts. I mean, she's been outstanding all year. And, and a lot of these a lot of these awards that come down to like writers voting on it comes down to like moments too. Um, so you look at that shot that she hit against Indiana, that's going to be something that people remember forever. I mean, when you look at her scoring what 28 a game, like what is she 28, eight and seven or something like that? Does that sound right? 
I mean, I don't think about. there's really much you can. Yeah, I don't think there's really much you can say that, uh, you know, to disregard her for like Aaliyah Boston's a great player, but like Caitlin Clark has done some stuff that people haven't seen on the men or women's side in quite a long time, if ever. So I don't know if you can truly say that just because you know the president has been set. I don't think that really matters at all because it's not the same people that are voting for that award that were also voting for it. 13, 14 years ago. So I just, I, in my opinion, I think Caitlin Clark has some of the most iconic moments in during this season, at least. And in recent memory, she's scoring 28 a game. She's at 28, eight and seven, let's say. And she has a team that when's the last time that I was gotten to this kind of point in the season, Mason has been a while, right? 1990. So it's been forever. It was 93. They went. So oh, I don't 93. know. I just don't know if there's any, like, even if you want to say Aaliyah Boss hasn't done anything to change that goalpost, I think Caitlin Clark has done a lot to move those goalposts to her. Caitlin Clark's and I don't even, And I don't think, I don't think those goalposts matter, by the way. Caitlin Clark also lost to UConn. Aaliyah Boston did not. Caitlin Clark also lost to Well, Illinois who's, okay, well, okay, stop. Okay, okay. We're not, okay, we're, yeah, not exactly. we're not letting we're not, you say yeah. that stuff. It yeah, does exactly. not matter. Can I, can I, can I say something <laughs> else, please? I just want to add something. You have to be Texas. <laughs> well it listen south carolina is not iowa iowa is not south carolina it doesn't matter if the best player in the country is playing at the university of nebraska omaha that player is the best kid in the country it doesn't matter and in in this sense if you want to bring up the elena deladon part she was not playing at a power five what she was doing was not at a power five school and if that's whatever the reason was whatever what we can leave that in the past but caitlin clark is doing what she's doing in a conference who sent three teams to the elite eight got her team to the final four for the first time since the 90s and it's major like a major reason why is because of her so i just don't exactly know how you can say it's anyone but caitlin clark at this point because we thought i also i'm just saying we thought four years that brianna stewart it didn't matter how much help brianna stewart had brianna stewart was considered the didn't matter what anyone else did in the country, the same voters who voted for Brianna Stewart for Player of the Year when they were when UConn was undefeated are now saying that it should go to Caitlin instead of a Leo. What I'm saying is, if that precedence has been set, and the previous eight times the National Player of the Year came from the undefeated team, we have an undefeated team. It's theirs until they're not undefeated. In my in my opinion, I just think you're. I I, I think that that puts a lot more on team success than it does just individual performances and listen for all intents and purposes brianna stewart may like i was not around and taking enough like time to like dig through everything at the time to say brianna stewart was or wasn't the best player in the country that year so i won't argue that point whatsoever but just looking at this year caitlin clark has probably been the best player in the country she has been the best player in the country so that's why she's player of the year We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I'm telling you. I think it, I think it's still going to Boston. I think she's undefeated. Uh, okay. So so say so say in the final four game, say South Carolina wins as, as they they should. They're favored. Um, say Aaliyah Boston, you know, scores twelve points, grabs eight rebounds. Say Caitlin Clark goes off for forty eight points, you know, seven assists and eight rebounds. Do you think that performance there says, oh, like Caitlin Clark is better than Aaliyah Boston? You know, obviously it's super tough. It's super, super hard to compare them because they're totally different players, totally different positions, totally different, you know, situations on their team where, you know, Aaliyah Boston doesn't have to have the ball in her hands to be effective. Whereas 
you know, Caitlin Clark doesn't necessarily have to have the ball in her hands to be effective, but like that's when she is effective. Okay. Um, so say, you know, South Carolina still wins, they win the national championship, but then, you know, Caitlin Clark scores 30 more points than only a Boston in the final four game. Do you, would you still think that Aaliyah Boston is the player of the year? Because yeah. for me, the player of the year is the best player in college basketball, and that player is not Aaliyah Boston. South Carolina would still be favored if they didn't have her. I don't know if necessarily that's true. It is true, Eric. <laughs> Eric, it is true. Okay, they don't beat Stanford without Aaliyah Boston hitting a winner game buck to tie it. They don't. They might. I mean, they okay with Maryland. They stayed within twelve. Boston had to have twenty-two. What? Well, maybe five. Well, maybe, well, maybe it's because Stanford can't handle the SEC. I think that's kind of what we've learned. Made it for here at least. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I um, think the, pre- the precedence has been set that the previous eight times they went to the undefeated team. South Carolina, the undefeated team, and that, and I'm still, and the other eight times, I'm sure there are probably other more valuable or even high in scoring players than the than the undefeated team. The undefeated team team success should play into awards. I personally think a little bit, not the end all be all, but if one's undefeated. Perfect. We can okay. do this out till Friday night at eight o'clock. Well, you know, they're eight oh five. Yeah, and I think you also have to look at the impact that Caleb Clark has had, not only on her team, but also the sport in general. You know, Caitlin Clark has kind of made women's basketball you know, along with some other players as well and some other teams, but Caitlin Clark has kind of made women's basketball cool. Like it, you know, there's people that don't even watch women's basketball tuning in to watch Iowa play, to watch Caitlin Clark play. There, No one's really tuning in to South Carolina to watch Aaliyah Boston play. You know, Caitlin Clark is transcending the sport. She's obviously doing things that have never been done before in the sport. Um, you know, when she graduates and moves on from Iowa, whether that's, you know, after next year or she takes her, um, you know, her COVID year and comes back five years, you know, if she comes back five years, she's going to score 4,200 points in her career, which is going to just, you know, blow out 3,500, which is career record right now. Um, You know, she is, casually shooting three pointers from the logo and making them she's dropping 40 points like it's you know her job which basically is being double and triple teamed um you know leah boston is being triple teamed not not can i can i ask eric a question real quick eric let's just say in a fantasy world everyone goes into the transfer portal and you can have either Aaliyah Boston or Caitlin Clark to start your team, expecting to try to go as far as you can that year. Are you taking Aaliyah Boston or Caitlin Clark? I'll take the one that already had the national championship. Behind oh my God. That, that I'm not asking you that question. I'm asking Leah you. Aaliyah Boston have the national championship behind I'll okay. take Aaliyah Boston. Okay. I'm just, so, I just need to so also the most that. points that Aaliyah Boston has scored this year has been what? Do you have a guess, Eric? 25. 26. You're you're very close. Shows the most she scored this year is 26. Caitlin Clark is averaging 26 a game. She is by far the most impactful player for her team, most impactful player in college basketball. I mean, she's she is 
the national play of the year. We don't have to go into this. We're not changing either of our minds. We'll figure it out on Friday. But before we get past this subject, I would like to say I appreciate you guys having this conversation because Brady might have just said the most impactful words I've ever heard him say, the most true statement he's ever said in his life to me. Of And, and I want everyone to remember that Brady Peterson on this podcast said, and it's, it's not, you know, refutable that South Carolina is not Iowa and Iowa is not exactly. South Carolina. Exactly. The most true statement I've ever heard from his mouth. Exactly. So we shouldn't be putting them on the same, you know, we should be comparing them as if they're the same. And I'm looking I at someone directly because someone thinks that they uh, should be, you know, compared as if they are equals in this sense, which they are not. But I appreciate you pointing out my my uh, my philosophy there. I think I am quite bright, but I really appreciate you pointing that out so everyone so everyone could remember. You're welcome. And Eric, <laughs> I'm sorry when when we talk again on Friday. I will not judge you too bad for your bad takes on Aliyah Boston being the national player of the year. She probably still be undefeated. I mean, that's that's good and all. I'll, I'll, if, I'll, if I was a if if I was a player, I would I would rather have a national championship ring too. So she gets what she probably wants more, and Caitlin Clark gets probably what she deserves more. That's why Eric. Can I can I ask you the same thing I asked Eric just a little bit ago in your infinite wisdom? You said, and Eric. here's yep, and Brady's intellect has gone down. So. <laughs> you said Eric. Can I ask you the same thing I just asked Eric? Yeah. So are you asking yeah, Eric or are you asking listen, Mason what you asked? I'm Eric? asking I'm asking Mason. Listen, it's it's late for me. I've been up a while today. So just South Carolina, Iowa. Eric is not to Eric. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I the, what I asked Eric before was if just in a fantasy world where everyone was in the transfer portal, we had to have one kid to try to take him as far as okay. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I just needed to be sure that I wasn't crazy. Yeah. I mean I mean, I don't think there's any other pick. I mean, yeah, I think it's Caitlin Clark. Well, oh, and by the I way, want... I lied earlier. She is averaging twenty-seven points a game. I was looking at her freshman year, where she averaged twenty-six point six. So, oops, my bad. <laughs> yeah, way to go, amazing. I know. Good lord, rip. Yeah. Well, um, there is a couple other things I just wanted to um have Eric and I touch on before we called it, um, because we do talk about the. Um, the high school side of things a lot. And there were two pretty significant commitments this week um, in, in Eric's world. I want to first talk about the one from Wisconsin that shifted over to um, Minnesota after Dawn got the job over there in, in Grace Grahalski. Um, so I want to shout her out. Um, she's had kind of an unlucky go of it in the recruiting trail, committing to Arizona State and having that coach retire, then committing to West Virginia, and then Dawn taking the job at Minnesota. So she's kind of had a rough go of it, but she's um, one of the best players in the 23 class in, in Wisconsin. And she's probably been the best kid at the state tournament for the last two years in Wisconsin. I mean, um, against Appleton East two years ago, she finished 34 and nine in that one in a blowout win against Appleton East. who had some really good kids on that team. And this year she finished like 24 and eight. I want to say something along those lines. So she is quite consistently one of the best performers in, in Wisconsin the last two years. So I just want to shout her out and, and her commitment to Minnesota and really excited to get to see her play in the big 10 and obviously get to come back to Wisconsin to play once a year and hopefully not hurt them too bad. Um, but um, in, in more um, high end prospect news, the top 15 kid in the country did commit in, 
Eric's neck of the woods. So I just would like you to talk about what, what happened out there. Let's go live. Liv McGill went to Florida. So she going to Brady's favorite SEC. What do you say? It always just means more or whatever the hell. It just means more in the SEC. Yeah. So Liv's going there. Not a super shock. I think I've kind of people have thought that was a favorite for a while. I think she'll do fantastic in the SEC. Excited for her. And to be honest, that kind of, at least right now, takes the last elite next, like, elite 2024 in the state of Minnesota off the board. There's some there's some kids that are uncommitted still that are kind of there. I think one of the ones to watch, especially this AAU season we'll talk about, is Tori McKinney. Um, she was injured all this year with a knee injury at Minnetonka, but great defender, long, active. Um, she If she can kind of bounce back and have a really big summer or, you know, and then into next year, she could find herself at D1 as well. So, but shout out Liv going to Florida. And I don't think there's anything else we need. Is there anything else I should, I, I'll ask you guys, is there anything else that you would like to touch on before we call it today? Uh, yes, I would actually, I would, I would like to touch on, uh, there's a coaching change uh, today uh, down in my neck of the woods, kind of. Um, so Lyndon Wood, Katie Falco didn't end up coming back to Lindenwood. They hired Amy Egan from Drury. Um, that's a home run hire. You know, Amy is one of the best coaches at the non-division one level it was, you know, going to at some point come that she was going to um, make, you know, make her way to the Division One ranks. She decided to stay, you know, close to her home base of, um, you know, Missouri, where she's coached for her last, you know, 20 or 10 years or so. Um, but now she's making that step up to Lindenwood a year after taking Drury uh, to a 31-2 and two record. Um, and back to back to back GLVC champions. Um, so she finally gets a chance. That's a home run hire. Great coach, great recruiter. Lindenwood's going to be good very soon. And I think that's a good spot to end it. So I appreciate you hearing our ramblings for I don't even know how long, maybe an hour, 20 minutes. Does that sound right? Something hour, like that. Eight, hour and eight minutes. Okay. A little bit shorter than I thought, but that's okay. Um, but I appreciate you guys uh, sticking around and listening through. And, you know, I think the schedule is going to change up a little bit going forward just because uh, we're going to be – most of us are going to be traveling on Sundays, so we're probably going to record these on Mondays and, and release them on Tuesday, I believe is what the plan is going forward through AAU. Um, we're going to have probably a new format of how we do things through AAU yet. Don't exactly know what that is yet, but stay tuned. Hopefully it'll be – hopefully it'll turn out well. Um, with Eric, there's always something to talk about. I'm sure he always has an opinion to share, so – you can always tune in for that. You always know Eric will be entertaining at least. So that that is something. Um, but I appreciate you guys listening and hopefully you guys tune back in next week and we'll have something for you. Go Virginia Tech.